Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour with your host, Randy Sutton. I'm a retired police lieutenant, 34 years of police service, the author of A Cop's Life and a number of other books, including the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. I'm also the founder of an organization called The Wounded Blue. We are the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. This show is devoted to the mental, the physical, and the spiritual health of America's law enforcement community. So I've got a great guest waiting for us, but uh, before that, we do what's called our reality check, where we eulogize and memorialize the officers who have lost their lives in the line of duty since our last show. And I have a number of names to read today from officerdown.org. So let's start off with police officer Darren McMichael of the Arlington Police Department in Texas. Police officer Darren McMichael was struck and killed by a hit and run driver on Interstate 20 near St. Augustine Drive at 6.10 a.m. While driving his department motorcycle to work, Officer McMichael struck the back of an SUV when traffic suddenly stopped in front of him. The collision call caused him to fall off his motorcycle, but before he could get up, another vehicle ran over him and drove away. Officer McMichael was transported to Baylor Medical Center, where he died from his injuries. The driver has not been apprehended. Officer McMichael had served with the Arlington Police for 24 years. His uh, wife also serves on the agency. Police Officer Darren McMichael, Arlington Police Department, Texas, end of watch, Thursday, 20, September 21st, 2023. The next is Deputy Sheriff Marilyn Anajet Mayo of the St. Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office in Louisiana. Deputy Sheriff Mary Mayo succumbed to injuries sustained on June 13, 2007, when a large tree fell in her patrol car that she was riding in. The incident occurred as she and her fiance, Sergeant Bo Raymer, were participating in a funeral procession for Deputy Hillary Mayo, no relation, who was killed in the line of duty four days earlier. The procession was traveling along West 21st Avenue when a violent thunderstorm with devastating rain and winds developed, a large pine tree fell onto the patrol car. The tree crushed the top of the patrol car, killed Sergeant Raymer instantly. Deputy Mayo suffered a severed spinal cord that caused her to become paralyzed from the chest down. She underwent years of rehabilitation and was able to return to the sheriff's office as a dispatcher for a short time. However, complications from her injuries caused her to become bedridden. She succumbed to her injuries on September 21st, 2023. Deputy Sheriff Marilyn Mayo, St. Tammany's Parish Sheriff's Office, Louisiana, end of watch, September 21st, 2003. The next is Community Parole Officer Christine Guerin Sandoval of the Colorado Department of Corrections. Community Parole Officer Christine Garin Sandoval was struck and killed by a vehicle near the intersection of Bijou Street and Spruce while she and two other parole officers were attempting to arrest a parolee. They located the man inside a vehicle parked at a convenience store 
at the intersection about 3.45 p.m. As the officers approached, the man intentionally reversed into them before fleeing the scene. Officer Gurin Sandoval and one of the other officers were both struck. They were transported to the Memorial Hospital where Officer Guerin Sandoval succumbed to her injuries. The subject was arrested a short time later. She had served with the Colorado Department of Corrections for five years and previously served with the Pueblo County Sheriff's Office for 12 years. Community Parole Officer Christine Guerin Sandoval, Colorado Department of Corrections, Colorado, end of watch Thursday, September 28, 2023. The next is Deputy Sheriff Jacob Eric Salrin of the Richland County Sheriff's Department in South Carolina. Deputy Sheriff Jacob Salrin was killed in a vehicle crash at the intersection of Bluff Road and Windy Drive. His patrol car collided with a tractor trailer that was attempting to make a left turn onto Windy Drive. Deputy Salrin has served with the Richland County Sheriff's Department for one year. Deputy Sheriff Jacob Eric Salrin, Richland County Sheriff's Department, South Carolina, end of watch, Friday, September 29th, 2023. The next is Correctional Officer 1, Robert Clark of the Georgia Department of Corrections. Correctional Officer 1, Robert Clark, died after being assaulted by an inmate with a homemade weapon at the Smith State Prison. He was escorting two prisoners from the dining hall when one of them attacked him from behind with the weapon. Second prisoner attempted to stop the attack, but was also assaulted and injured before the attacker was subdued. Officer Clark and the wounded inmate were both transported to a local hospital where Officer Clark succumbed to his wounds. The inmate who attacked him, who was already serving a life sentence for murder, was charged with another murder. He had served with the Georgia Department of Corrections for just six months. Correctional Officer 1, Robert Clark, Georgia Department of Corrections, Georgia, end of watch, Sunday, October 1st, 2023. And the next is Captain John Robert Randolph III of the Ringling Police Department in Oklahoma. Captain John Randolph succumbed to injuries he received when he fell while working as the Ringling High School Resource Officer at 8 p.m. At the varsity football game, Captain Randolph was escorting a teacher carrying the gate money at the varsity football game. He tripped on wood debris, falling forward into a wood pile. He was transported to a nearby hospital where he died from internal injuries three days later. Captain Randolph was the United States Army Operation Desert Storm and Operation Enduring Freedom veteran who had served with the Ringling Police Department for two years, had previously served with the Helton Police Department for two years, Carter County Sheriff's Office for two years, and the Ardmore Police Department for 22 years. Captain John Robert Randolph III, Ringling Police Department, Oklahoma, end of watch Monday, September 25th, 2023. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty serving and protecting. You know, the violence that law enforcement officers face is immense, but the other factors involved that take their lives are accidents, traffic collisions, and, and, other, uh, and other forms of, uh, of danger. So it's not just 
felonious assault that takes these lives, and yet the sacrifice is the same. May they rest in peace. My guest today is a returning guest. Uh, her name is Tanya Owen, and she is a retired deputy sheriff from the LA Sheriff's Office. And this is the first for the Wounded Blue Hour in that this is part two of an interview. And I'm, I'm doing this part two because Tanya's situation is, uh, is so unique. Uh, she herself retired as a deputy sheriff with the LA Sheriff's, but um, her husband, who is also serving with the LA County Deputy or LA County Sheriff's Department, was murdered in the line of duty. And her journey, uh, her long, arduous journey, which continues to this day, is a subject that uh, is so um, all-encompassing that we only scratched the surface on our last interview. So let me introduce, reintroduce Tanya Owen. Tanya, thank you so much for coming back to the uh, the Wounded Blue Hour to talk about um, this journey that you have been on for many years. Thank you, Randy. Thank you for having me back. Now, I, I want to tell the audience that um, Tanya uh, and I were together at the third annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit just last week. And we had the opportunity to talk once again. Um, and, and Tanya, let me ask you this. Um, before we get back into your story, would you please tell the audience about your experience at the third annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit that we held here in Las Vegas last week? Absolutely. I'll tell you what. I just have so many good things to talk about uh, the summit. Um, and in fact, this is my third summit. I was there on your first one, the second one, and of course last week. But, you know, I, I every year you just, um, it gets better and better. The first one, of course, I thought was incredible. And, um, you know, being the typical cop that I am, I always thought that I was good, that I would be able to handle everything that occurred with my husband. And, it wasn't until I went to the first summit that I really learned so much, uh, hearing everyone else's experience. And, you know, when you're going through something tragic like this, you feel like you're all alone. And you go to the summit and you find out that you're not, that there are people dealing with the same trauma, with the same feelings that you're dealing with. And it's, it's home. For me, it's home. I felt safe. And I learned so much. And then the second year I came back and it got better. And this last week was incredible. Um, I Every single law enforcement officer should, should attend this summit. Um, it, it's incredible how much we talk about uh, mental health, how to take care of yourself. Um, the speakers that you have, Randy, are outstanding. Um, really everyone that attended and I spoke with a lot of people were just uh, blown away with uh, how incredible the summit was. Definitely recommend it for, for everyone. Everyone has to attend. So, you know, this is, this is so relatable to your personal experience and your personal trauma. Um, you know, your husband was murdered in the line of duty and, and dealing, with, dealing with that personal trauma and that loss is such a devastating 
that's a devastating experience. And the Wounded Blue, of course, was, was formed to be a resource for every police officer in America who is either injured physically or injured psychologically and emotionally in the line of duty. And I think it's such an important topic. Um, you, you spent decades as a deputy sheriff. You faced the danger personally. You had, you had, you know, uh, the, the, the critical incidents, you, you did, uh, amazing work as a, as a deputy. So what, what the public, I think, doesn't quite understand is how the cumulative stress that goes along with being a law enforcement officer can lead to the mental and psychological damage that can have a, 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 a dramatic effect on the life and the future of any police officer. But then when you add on to that your, your personal um, trauma from the loss, the murder of your husband as an active duty police officer, if you would share with the the listeners and and the viewers just how the wounded blue and the summit has aided you to you know to it, it never ends right trauma never ends we just learn to live with it and to and to deal with it can you please talk about about how the Wounded Blue itself as an organization and how the Survival Summit helps in that regard? Well, I can certainly tell you that if, and I'll just get right to the bottom and then we'll talk a little bit about how I got there. Um, in a nutshell, the Wounded Blue saved my life. Randy, you saved my life. If you had not come into my life at, at the moment that I really was had made a decision to take my life, I would be a statistic today. That's the bottom line. Um, and it makes me wonder how many other officers, if they only, you know, were willing to get help, how many other lives you could save. The wounded blue saves lives. You know, like I tell people, my injuries are not like those of other officers, you know, some of their injuries, you can see their injuries, you, you know, they've been shot, they've broken leg, a broken, broken body part. For me, my injury was here and here. And the wounded blue gets you in a position as a police officer to say that it's okay to get help. Uh, you meet other people that have been through similar trauma, other people who uh, are like our brothers and sisters who work at our station who you think would never seek help because they're the badass guys they're the the badass girls and um and all of us because in the decade that we came on as, as police officers we were taught that if we saw something that was traumatic we had to suck it up you had to take care of business you had to take care of the call um and once you learn to suck it up it becomes a habit so the next traumatic incident you see, you learn to suck it up. And what that looks like is you're putting up a wall. You're basically shutting down your feelings as to anything that is happening. 
And that is so detrimental to all of law enforcement because what happens is, like you said, after each trauma that you see, traumatic incident, it just accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. And after being on the department for so many years and depending on your experience with trauma, with shootings, with what you have seen, it's just at that terrible cycle that gets you to a place where um, you can experience a lot of different things. A lot of us don't like to deal with emotions. So behind closed doors, some of us will take to drinking. Some of us will take to gambling. Some of us will take to um, dangerous behavior, um, getting involved with other people. And so many different things that come about that at the time you don't realize that it's as a result of, of a trauma, but we just simply don't know how to deal with it. And the wounded blue absolutely covers everything that we just talked about. And they reveal how that trauma as it accumulates over time affects you not only physically, but mentally. And what was really cool that I learned at the summit was that one of the speakers was talking about the trauma that we as law enforcement officers see versus you know the regular person that is not involved in any type of first responder work. And that is we see on average about 180 uh, incidents that are traumatic incidents versus the general population who on average sees about three. So that is substantially so much more. And so by finally getting the help and coming to the Wounded Blue Summit, you really learn that um, where all of this comes from, where all of the depression comes from, and really at the end of the day that you can get help, that you can get past it and that you can, you can uh, succeed. You know, last time you were on the show, last uh, it was two weeks ago now, um, we were talking about your, your career, your relationship with your husband, and we got to the point where you had just been notified about the murder of your husband. You were actually at a training, uh, a, a law enforcement training, when you were notified and, and the department sent a helicopter to come pick you up and bring you to the hospital. Um, let's pick up there where you, you've just been notified and, and you didn't even know that, that your husband, that he, was, that he was deceased. You didn't know that yet. You just knew that he had been shot. And when you got to the hospital, let's pick up there when you arrived at the hospital and what the experience was there. When I arrived at the hospital, um, as soon as the helicopter landed, I ran towards the, uh, the doors of the emergency room. But it was at that time that someone with a white coat grabbed my arm and said to me that he was the attending physician and said that they, he was, that there was a bullet lodged at the base of the skull, at the base of the brain of my husband. At that point, I didn't need to hear any more. Um, I needed to get to my husband. So at this point, I'm, I'm running towards the uh, emergency room doors. And as I go in, there's literally hundreds of law enforcement officers. And there's, I'm having to walk through this gauntlet of officers who are, have all their head down. No one would look at me. Um, you could hear a pin drop. 
And the only thing I could hear was the nurses administering CPR to my husband. And as I came to the room where my husband was at, I could see there must have been, gosh, maybe 30, 40 people in that room. And as I came around the corner, uh, not knowing that my husband had been shot more than once, I came around and I looked at his face as they're continuing CPR. And I could clearly see that he had been shot uh, in the head uh, multiple times. And um, at that point, I, I grabbed his feet and I started to tell him, you know, you need to fight, you need to fight, you can do this. And as I'm, you know, trying to, to tell him that he can do this, that he can overcome this, the nurses stopped CPR. And for me, it was so surreal that it felt that in less than a minute from my arrival, they stopped CPR. And the doctor called it and he said, you know, time of, uh, you know, time of passing and he gave the time. And I, I honestly, I, I couldn't believe what, what was happening. So at that point I dropped to my knees and it was at that very moment that I felt a very disturbing tug at my thigh. I, it was so disturbing, a jerking movement that for me as a police officer, you know, we, we talk about gun retention and I immediately turn around and it was my sergeant had removed my gun from its holster. Randy, uh, you know, that was a defining moment for me as a police officer because not only had I just lost my husband, but I, within seconds, my gun is being ripped out of my, 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 um, my holster. And it's almost like it, com it completely took my attention from my husband to look at my sergeant. And I looked at him like, what the hell are you doing taking my gun away? It was just, you know what I'm talking about. We, we, uh, I'm, I am, I'm, a, I'm a, this is the first time that I've heard this deep a rendition of your, of your experience. And, and you just, what you just said, sent a shiver down my body. I'm 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 speechless as to this conduct. Please go on. I'm 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 just I'm shocked. Well, Randy, it, it was horrible because um, you know as police officers, gun retention and you know having our gun and not having anyone take our gun from us is is everything because that means they could take our life. And so when he did this without even telling me, all he had to do was tell me, Tanya, I need to take your gun. But he didn't even bother. He just ripped it out of my, my holster and walked away. And I looked at him. We locked eyes and he knew I was pissed. But, you know, I quickly realized that the reason he did it was because he didn't want me to use that gun and to take my life or to do some what I don't know. But that's the only thing I can think of. And I get it. I understand that. But he didn't have to do that to me. He could have just simply tapped me on the shoulder and said, look, I'm sorry, but I have to take your gun. And I would have said, yes, I understand. And that would have been fine, but um, that, but you know what, that was not the way to handle it. And I know that, you know, I imagine there haven't been too many situations like ours where you have a husband and a wife, but they really need to, to you know, learn from this and understand that you just can't do this to a police officer. You have to at least talk to them. And I found that very, I was very upset with him. But you know, at that point in time, all I could do was turn back and to my husband because that was my priority at the time. And literally at that time, you know, um, I, I didn't know what to do. I was I was traumatized, and 
uh, I've never felt so helpless. Here I am, a first responder who's always on top of her game, not helping myself, but helping others because I never need help, right? Hmm. And now I found myself not even knowing what to do. Um, and it was at this time that my son came up and he started praying over his father. And he said one of the most beautiful prayers that really uh, touched everyone in that room. And um, right after that, um, they literally whisked me away, took my husband, and I had so many wives that were in the emergency room coming up to me and hugging me. I really didn't even, it really had, hadn't said it would just happen. And I have all these wives just literally sobbing and crying and telling me how sorry they are. So I got whisked away with, along with my family to another room. They took my husband to a separate room, cleaned him up, and then brought him into the uh, hospital chapel where the whole family was able to, to be with him. One of the deputies from the station actually drove back to the station and, and uh, the flag that is flown every day at the station was brought down he brought it to the hospital and he laid it on top of my husband's body, what just an, covering what, him. What an incredible moment that must have been. Um, we've got to take a quick break and then we'll come right back. Um, so stay right there. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix Rx is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. 
We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. One Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee. Patriotic, uh, veteran-owned, very, very good coffee. I actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew, and they are amazing people. The coffee is delicious. You order it online, they bring it right to your house. You can get the ground coffee, you can get beans. I like to grind my own. They've got uh, also got these, uh, you know, the the containers that you put in your Keurig or whatever that thing is called. So um, One Nation Coffee, go to One Nation coffee.com order your coffee and uh you'll get great coffee and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the wounded blue so uh go to one nation coffee.com I want to tell you about another company that supports the Wounded Blue and supports law enforcement. It's called OfficerPrivacy.com. And OfficerPrivacy.com is a really, really unique business, but one that every cop needs to know about because what they do is directly related to officer safety. As you know, this show is all about the mental, physical, and spiritual wellness of America's law enforcement community. And keeping ourselves and our families safe, whether we're on duty or off duty, is always part of the equation. So Pete James is the uh, is the founder of this company who is a retired uh, law enforcement officer. And he showed me something that I was shocked about, and that is how easy it is to get information, personal information, about you and about me on the internet. It's all over the internet, where you live, the cars you drive. It's, it's startling how much information is out there. So what OfficerPrivacy.com does, he employs nothing but current or former law enforcement officers, and they actually go on to the, the, all of the sites that are out there and remove your information. Now, this is, it's, it's uh, an amazing product, if you will, because they, this is very time-consuming, it's painstaking, and they remove all of the references that that uh, you know about where you live and about your personal information. So he's a strong supporter of the Wounded Blue. In fact, he had a vendor table at the Law Enforcement Survival Summit and um, and was uh, actively talking about about this uh, about this uh, product that he has. So I urge you go to OfficerPrivacy.com. It's not expensive. And it's something that every law enforcement officer, current or former, should really take a look at. OfficerPrivacy.com. Let's get back to Tanya. Tanya, I mean, you, you just you just blew me away with uh, with the information about your sergeant coming up behind you and, and just taking your firearm 
without even consulting you, as you are literally praying for your husband who's, who was just killed. And that callousness to me is, is shocking. And then after that, they, they took your husband, they cleaned him up a little bit. Another deputy who did something very, very touching. They went to the, to the sheriff's station, picked up the flag and draped it over your husband. Is that correct? Yes, he draped the flag, U.S. flag, over my husband's uh, body so that, you know, it would be concealed, obviously. And uh, my whole family sat around him, and we had so many people come up and express their condolences. And, you know, looking back now, uh, I could tell that I was in shock. And, um, you know, something that I do want to talk about later with depression and the trauma is that from the get-go, I never cried for my husband. Till this day, I have not cried. Um, 32 plus years in law enforcement and putting up that wall and not showing emotion has really had a great and negative effect on my life. Um, but we'll talk about that. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. We can we can um, talk but, about we can talk about that now because th this is. This is, this is very natural to you to, to bring this up now. So let's let's stay with this. I mean, it's it's you know crying is something that is a, a huge physical and emotional release. Um, although you know, as a society, especially as a law enforcement, you know we've come to view it as a sign of sensitivity or even weakness at times i mean we we are trained to be stoic and you did that for for literally your entire adult life coming onto scenes that that would be soul crushing for you know many many people most people but you can't show that emotion and then when then we get kind of caught up in that and it sounds to me that this has had an uh like a startling effect on you. 100% Randy, because, um, so here's what happened after my husband was murdered. I, there was two things that happened. One was that I, I didn't cry. And that is very concerning to me because no one, my family has never seen me cry for my husband. Uh, you know, he had a team of guys that he worked with and they were very close. They've never seen me cry. And so my, worry and concern was that people would think that I didn't love my husband. That really concerned me. And now we're rolling on to seven years. In fact, his anniversary is October 5th. It's, it's around the corner. Oh boy. It's uh, this morning. And um, I have since come to find out that a lot of people thought that I didn't love my husband because I didn't cry. And so the, the one thing that I was worried about actually you know, came true. And um, even through my depression and everything that I experienced, I, this is going to sound weird, Randy, but I don't know how to cry. I really don't. And um, I could be sitting next to a, another person who is well equipped with their emotions and see a video. Um, for example, the video that we, you showed at the, the summit last week of the, the uh, officer who uh, was going to take her life. I could, there was audible noises in the room. People were upset about it. 
um, I could not only hear them, but see them uh, crying. But that same video did absolutely nothing for me. And that is not good. I am seriously worried about that, that I still haven't cried for my husband, nor am I in touch with my emotions. So that's something that I'm still working on. It's 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 an ongoing, um, um, ongoing for me so, to, to work on my emotions. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying, and and that is startling. Um, now, to deal with the issues of that we were talking about earlier, depression. I mean, the the underlying um, feelings that, that have to that have to bubble to the surface when you have experienced such tremendous loss. Um, it's had a negative effect on you, clearly in in many many ways. What have you done in order to um, in order to come to terms with this? Has there have you have you uh, seen a psychologist? Have you gone to any type of therapy? I have gone to talk therapy, but the problem that I have that many law enforcement officers have is that um, number one, if the therapist is, you know, did not wear the uniform, if they did not put on a gun belt and if they did not walk in my shoes, I have tended to not want to go to that person because I feel that they won't understand what I'm talking about. But quite honestly, Randy, I've really have kind of, I've made progress in that area and I have come to talk to other psychologists and I, and I do realize that their experience, that the, their education doesn't have to be necessarily as to how we do our job or what we do when we're 10, eight, when we're out in the field, but their job is to bring what's in here back to where it was to try to help you through the trauma and try to talk you through things. And I found out that the more I talk about the incidents, the better it is. Now, for me though, what worked, um, and I'll be honest with you, when I had decided to take my life, when you came into my life and really took the bull by the horns, thank you. Um, you know, you, you, we first tried um, the st stellate ganglion block, um, shot and, and that one doesn't work for 20% of the population, but then you and the doctor didn't, you know, you still uh, helped me and then sent me to a ketamine clinic where after several treatments of ketamine, I was literally off the ledge. And I, I now have my head above water and I'm able to now recognize those, um, those um, triggers when the depression comes in. And although ketamine is a, um, is a drug, what's really, what, what I really like about that is that you can wean yourself and in the process you go to talk therapy and then you learn how to work through things as opposed to depending on any type of medicine. For me, that's what I found very helpful. But um, so those were the methods that I tried. So to answer your question, yes, I've tried talk therapy and it definitely, it has helped tremendously. I'm I've late. also I'm, tried. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I've also tried EMDR, and that—that's with Dr. Trevor. 
And uh, that was outstanding as well. So the bottom line is, you know, can you get help? Can you get back to some type of normalcy? Absolutely. But you have to seek the help. You have to be willing to allow others to help you. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up these therapies because they're still um, the stellate ganglion block, SGB, ketamine are two treatments that are not known as well as, you know, we, we always think, we always know about a psychologist. <clears throat> but talk therapy, for some people it works, but for many others, it's, it, it really doesn't, it doesn't have the long-term effect. So in the, in the recent, recent years, other avenues of treatment have begun to be made available for law enforcement. And I'm glad you brought that up. So I want, I want the, I want the viewers and because we, of course, we have a, a huge law enforcement audience here to understand that there, that the, these treatments are effective. SGB is uh, a, is a uh, injection into the muscle and the, uh, the area of the neck that leads to the brain that helps to calm the, uh, the fight or flight, um, the, uh, that syndrome that we get into, that we're, that's where PTS lives in this part of the brain. So SGB is, is, it can be very, very effective for a lot of people. Um, I experienced it. It's painless. And, uh, and there are different areas where you can get it. The ketamine, I've never experienced. However, I do un understand from many people who have suffered from, from severe post-traumatic stress injury that ketamine has been very effective for them. So um, the fact that you have experienced all of these different mediums and modalities, if you will, and you found each one of them had somewhat of an effect on you, but the, the uh, SGB and the ketamine together literally talked you or brought you back from the edge where you were severely uh, depressed, thinking about about uh, harming yourself, and and took that edge off. Is that is that a fair way to assess it? Yes, uh, the ketamine SG, uh, ketamine was a game changer for me. Uh, to go from a place of no hope, um, and to go from a place where I didn't even think about my family when I had decided to take my life. Um, it, and I'm embarrassed to say, but it's something that I really need to reveal that, you know what, Randy, when I was at that point where I was okay with taking my life, number one, I was at peace with it. I really was. And, and number two, I didn't even think of my kids. I didn't even give them a thought. I didn't even think of my grandkids. All I cared about was Tanya and mm. wanting to get rid of the pain and wanting, honestly, to be with my husband. I wanted to be with my husband and nothing else mattered to me. And that is why we, we understand that that is such a selfish act because I didn't think about the, the trauma, the additional trauma it's gonna cause on my children and my family. Not only was their father murdered, but now their mom commits suicide? No, absolutely not. And. Um, you know, having gone through those ketamine treatments, like I said, they were a game changer. 
And what I love about them is that, um, you know, they're medically supervised, the doctor's there, they're, they're professionals. You are monitored the entire time by an RN. And not only that, but you get a, um, a monitor and a, a, a panic button, if you will. So if there's maybe some anxiety as you're getting the treatment, you can call for a nurse. But I found that when they start the ketamine treatment, they start it at a very slow uh, pace. And as you improve and are getting better and are getting used to the pretty much what it is, it's like a psychedelic trip. When the nurse told me, he says, you know, it's kind of like a, having an acid trip. And I said, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been a cop my whole life. <laughs> I don't know what an acid trip is like, but I guess I'll find out. But uh, it took six treatments for me to finally uh, come into that place where I was, I was good. Now, typically what happens after that is that it depends on the individual. Uh, you may not have to come back for another um, ketamine treatment for six months or eight months or a year, but some have to come back after three months. It really de depends on the individual. But for me, I've been able to uh, kind of wean myself off of it. And whatever that ketamine did, I'll tell you what, it, uh, it targeted, like as you said er earlier, that fight or flight part of the brain, and it has literally turned it around for me. Wow. I am in a much better place. And I know for a fact, Randy, 100%, I will never allow myself to get to that place. And the only reason I got to that place where I was on that precipice about to jump was because I never reached out for help. That's what did it. That, that I think, is the, the, the most important takeaway from this entire conversation is about the ability to reach out to others you know and this is of course one of the the hazards of the law enforcement profession um as uh, you know we hear this literally every single day from police officers is that i didn't want to appear weak i didn't want to i didn't want to share that because i didn't want my my uh department to know that I was feeling this way. And this is the most destructive aspect, I think, of, of where, we, where we can get to when we, when we, when we try to go solo. You know, it's understandable. There, I've been in that place myself where I didn't want to tell anybody that that I was feeling this way. And it's, it's to do so is it, it can, you have to be able to trust. You have to, you have to be able to open up and to find someone that you can open up to can be a really, really difficult, difficult thing to do is, well, you know, for for me, it was honestly, it was my ego. I didn't want to appear weak. And I almost took a role of being there for everyone else. Because right. it, was so, it was so obvious to me that everyone was so broken, especially his guys. You know, I had a little get together here at the house, um, maybe within a week. And they're coming up to me and they're hugging me. And they're these big, muscular, big, badass dudes sobbing. And I am telling them, you know what, it, it's going to be okay. And they, again, I, 
I can't cry. So they're like, you know what? Um, they said, we're supposed to be here comforting you, but instead you're comforting us. And right. I wish I could say I was that strong, but it was really my ego. And I was not going to let anyone see that I, I, I was weak. And, um, and that's the other thing I was still on the job, Brandy, you know, um, I, a week and a half after Steve was murdered, uh, our homicide detectives had a debriefing. They invited the entire station. So there was probably over a hundred deputies in that conference room. We had uh, two captains, our homicide detectives, and uh, they invited the family. Well, I was off during that time. And I'll tell you what, I, when I went to that meeting, to that debriefing, I went in my uniform, in full uniform. There was this pride that we as law enforcement officers have because our profession is a noble one. I was not about to walk into that room with my chin, you know, down and, you know, with my shoulders down. I was going to walk in there with my chin up, shoulders back and show everybody that we're not going to allow this POS to reign in our parade. We still have a job to do. We still have to go out there and, you know, we still need to be the sheepdogs that, that we were called to be. And for me, it was a sense of pride. I even, I even brought my canine with him, with me. I put his vest on him and I just wanted to show everyone that, you know what? It's back to that, that, um, you know, you got to suck it up. I was in that, in that mode effectively. And I'm telling everybody we need to get back out there. And I could see that everybody was just pretty, pretty beaten down. Well, and, the, um, the uniform can also act as our, as our armor, if you will. You know, that's, we, we can utilize that to deflect, if you will, um, you know, what is happening around us. And uh, so that, that wearing that uniform is, is, it plays a significant role um, especially when it comes down to shielding our own inner thoughts and, and, and using the, the uniform as, as kind of a, um, a personal shield, you know, where we know we have to act in a certain way that. Well, no, you nailed it. Absolutely. You nailed it. 100%. That's all it was. It was me trying to deflect and it was really for, for me right from me wearing that uniform and then you know i same thing i went i was back to work within three weeks of steve being murdered wow and uh it, yes three weeks i went back to work full duty and um i not there was a couple of things going on so i went back to work within three weeks and the other thing was during that time uh it was 2016 and that was an election year and that's when we had a progressive district attorney running. And I turned everything that had to do with my husband into a fight against this district attorney and all the propositions that were in that were going to be voted on uh, to really just um, turn the justice system upside down. So I decided to become my husband's voice. So while I was in the fight, Randy, for the next two years, I felt that I was fine, but I really wasn't because I now have the luxury of looking back. And uh, during that time, um, I was fine, but it wasn't until my husband's case was done that uh, I came home and, and fell into a deep depression. But 
and I don't know if you really want to get into this, but with regards to the case, because we were talking about Deputy Clinkenbrumer, who was murdered here in, in Palmdale. And um, we were, were talking about these um, uh, woke district attorneys, progressive district attorneys who don't want to file the death penalty uh, on, on people that have murdered law enforcement officers. But you know, it's interesting that even though as liberal as California is, uh, prior to 2016, the voters had voted for the death penalty at least twice, if not three times. So, right. um, so at that time, I wanted to fight for the, the death penalty because as soon as uh, District Attorney Gascon uh, came into office, he removed the death penalty from my husband's case, removed life without the possibility of parole, removed all the special circumstances and all the gun allegations, gang allegations, you name it. He removed everything and he brought the case down to a simple murder, one count murder. And, um, and unfortunately, that's something that this other deputy's family is going to have to deal with. Even though the, the deputy was executed, the individual is not going to be facing the death penalty. It, that is sickening. But you were able to, um, you were able to get those um, those enhancements, those sentencing enhancements, put back into place. Which um, I can imagine the the relief when a judge ruled in your favor that those enhancements should be kept. Yes, we were very we were very lucky that we had one a judge with. Uh, with balls, if you will, a judge that really stood on on principles and stood really on the law, uh, because that's what you know. Just because this district attorney has um, asserted his his uh, edicts on on the public, it does not mean that those not laws are not still on the books. So yes, we had a judge that um, had a lot of integrity and did the right thing, and you know we were able to keep everything. With the exception of the death penalty, what uh, what was the sentence for the your the murder of your husband? It was uh, life without the possibility of parole. Uh, he pled guilty in open court to every single allegation, uh, every single count, and he even gave up his right to um, to appeals. If you can believe that. Wow. What was the at the conclusion of that, at the, the day of the sentencing, what, what effect did that have on you? You know what, thank you for asking about that because that's really an, an important piece here as part of the healing of all the, the trauma that my entire family has been through. But for us, uh, that very uh, day when we had to all give our victim impact statements, um, my entire family, this, forgave him. Wow. We all forgave this individual. And, you know, we don't carry any anger. We don't carry any hate. We don't, we're not going to allow him to dictate how we're going to live our lives because of, of these things that we're carrying. And really forgiveness is not, it's not for them. It's for us so that we can just get rid of all that. And at this point he is serving um, life without the possibility of parole. It's not what I wanted, but you know what? He justice has been served. And that's where we're going to leave although, it. Yes. 
Tanya, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show and uh, and to picking up where we left off. Your story is incredible. Uh, your your journey uh, is continuing and probably will continue yet for the rest of your life. And that's something that I I really want to um, thank you for sharing that. You know what what you're talking about is very emotional stuff, very personal. And, uh, and a, a lot of people who are listening to this and being exposed to your story, I'm sure will have an effect on them. So Tanya, I want to thank you so much for coming on the, uh, the show again today. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Randy. And thank you for saving my life. Well, that was a very dramatic interview. I want to thank you for tuning into our show today. The Wounded Blue Hour. Uh, I ask you to go to thewoundedblue.org, thewoundedblue.org. See who we are. See what we do. If you are a law enforcement officer or have been and are struggling, please reach out to us. You can reach out to us on our website under the contact form. Call us at uh, 844-TWB-HERO or contact us on Facebook. Um, if you are someone who wants to support us, you can hit that donate button on our website. And if you are a business or a corporation that wants to become a corporate sponsor of the Wounded Blue and or this show, please contact me directly. Randy at thewoundedblue.org. That's Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.